Hello and welcome to Conversations with My Conservative Dead Father, a podcast of the exact email exchanges my father and I had about politics the year before he died. I'm your host, Jonathan Grossman. And I'm your co-host, Michael Grossman. Yes, an AI-generated clone of my actual voice. Hey, Pops, do you mind giving us a little comparison of your clone versus your actual voice? Sure. Here's an actual recording of my voice. Bill, it's about the plans you submitted for your addition to your house. Yep, sounds like my Pops. And here I am as the clone. Bill, it's about the plan you submitted for the addition to your house. (laughs) It's really pretty amazing. Okay, you ready to get started? Does a bear shit in the woods? Now that's my pops. On today's podcast, we have a few topics. First, we discuss if Trump is a racist. Then we lean into another chapter of how the media reports on Trump. And then we finish off with a left turn. (laughs) Pops tells me seven things he didn't like about Trump And I tell him seven things I did like about Trump. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge an inherent problem in evaluating if someone is racist. It's easy to spot when we see a neo-Nazi displaying Nazi flags, or when Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville refuses to acknowledge that white nationalists are racist. But day-to-day racism is much more veiled. The fact is we never know the inner workings of how someone thinks. We can only go by their actions. Sometimes we hear people say things like, I'm not racist against Jews because I have Jewish friends. And by the way, I'm Jewish, so just relax. I can tell this story. The problem I have with that statement is that being friends with, hiring, or interacting with a specific race does not preclude one from being racist towards them. You can like one particular person of that race, but still show racism towards the rest. That's still being racist, guys. Well stated, Jonathan. Thanks, Pops. (laughs) In the meantime, can you take this one? Can you establish how the Cambridge Dictionary defines racism? Sure. Here is the definition according to the Cambridge Dictionary. Coming from or having the belief that people who belong to other races are not as good, intelligent, moral, as people who belong to your own race. You know, maybe I haven't said this yet, but you speak really well for an AI clone. Very nice enunciation and inflection. Okay, smartass, enough brown nosing. And by the way, this isn't really me, so your compliments go right through me, literally. I know, I know. How about we get to the heart of this email exchange where I clearly tear you a new asshole? (laughs) Those are fighting words. Well, as you obviously know, Words are the only kind of fight I have left in this realm. Well, they're pretty damn good, I must say. Good enough for me to spend way too many hours building an AI podcast as a platform for you. But truly, I really do love this. So, let's stir the pot. Let's talk about the word racist. The word will eventually lose all meaning other than a catchword used by the far left, to describe anybody not submitting to the liberal orthodoxy du jour. Trump is called a racist. Why? Where is the evidence? Most of what I have seen, heard him accused of being a racist for, is one interpretation of words formed by a predetermined conclusion, set up to fit a current agenda. Might be true, but let's get specific about this. 
Let's talk about the very fine people quote. Just so things are fair, I'll quote the whole statement here. Unlike what we normally hear, we hear it out of context, and it's not entirely fair. Let's just hear the whole thing. And I'll quote Trump, quote, Excuse me, excuse me, they didn't put themselves. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. End quote. Sorry to say, I feel that even you fell into the trap of the good people on both sides' remark. I believe his meaning was that there were good people on both sides of the issues, and by no means meant to support, defend, or laud the white supremacists at that demonstration. It was not well articulated, and unfortunately provided fodder for people who use that word to stand for anybody they disagree with. Okay, I certainly see your point there. It was often taken out of context, and it was certainly manipulated by the press. The core issue is that the rally was partly organized by a well-known white nationalist, Richard Spencer, and included both neo-Nazis and white supremacist groups. Former Ku Klux Klan head David Duke was a scheduled speaker. The biggest population of attendees on the right appeared to be part of those groups. So it would have served his statement to clarify exactly to whom he was referring. Loose talk like this is easily misconstrued and only provides gasoline for the alt-right fire. They then interpret it as validation from the president. The only thing I'll acknowledge is that he did explicitly condemn the white nationalists and neo-Nazis. However, his generalized fine people remark seemed to overshadow anything else, both in the ears of the alt-right and the liberal media. I believe he just likes to create chaos. He uses such doublespeak that either side can make a claim in their own favor. Other examples of this would be the following. Why did he deflect the opportunity to outright condemn the white supremacists during the presidential debate in September of 2020? Curious. And this happened again on January 6th, where he allegedly assisted in inciting a riot because it didn't take much to get those folks to become violent. However, because he didn't say anything directly instructing a riot, he claims impunity. The true intentions get revealed when the riot goes on for three hours and he does nothing to stop it. His silence spoke volumes about his truer intentions. Had he been misunderstood by the rioters, he could have easily asked them to stand down much earlier with clear words. He was the president with the biggest mic and God knows the biggest mouth. Yet he waited three hours before making any effort to clarify his instructions to them. What does that say? It becomes much harder to defend the very fine people remark when he stands by and lets rioters from those groups destroy the Capitol. Okay, I think I've kind of taken us in another direction, but I'm going to veer us back here. Let's get back to the racist discussion. I have my own evidence to provide that he has racist behaviors, but I'd like to hear your side first. Okay. Evidence to the contrary. In other words, he is not a racist. 1. He employs a vast number of non-white workers, many of whom have sung his praises as a good and compassionate employer. 2. Many blacks have spoken out in support of him. 3. 
Minorities have benefited greatly in employment opportunities and earnings during his administration. 4. Prominent blacks have stated outright that blacks have done better under Trump than any of his recent predecessors, including Obama, who many believe did precious little to help blacks. 5. The only picture we have of him grabbing a is one of him shaking hands with Obama. Oops, scratch that. Woof. Pops, that's mean, and not even clever. Do you know anything about the Police Athletic League of New York? TAL is dedicated to mentoring and helping at-risk youngsters and give them a push in the right direction to get an education and a career. In other words, stay away from a life of crime. It has done an enormous amount of good for innumerable youngsters over the years, primarily in the black communities. So what does this have to do with Trump? He has personally donated the lion's share of its budget for more than a couple of decades and still does. Does that sound like a racist? Did you hear even a peep about that? Of course not. The media won't report it because it is something contrary to an outright lie they perpetuate. And what is behind all this out-of-proportion hatred of Trump? Sore loser syndrome. Their candidate, whom they deemed had the right to the office because it was her turn, lost the election, and they have never accepted the outcome. Isn't it ironic that she and the press made a big deal about her questioning Trump if he would accept the outcome if she won? Look, I don't think he is any saint. He was and is, in my opinion, the lesser of evils, and in the process has done some really good things for the country. Okay, I've heard your lesser of evils argument and understand your point of view there. With regard to irony, I think you've got it backwards there. Trump is the one not accepting the outcome now. Of all the sore losers in the sore loser universe, Trump is at the top of the list. What kind of incumbent boycotts the inauguration of the incoming president? The sore loser variety. But okay, I want to get back to what you said about Trump's donations. Actually, the press did report on this many times. The most significant I could find was the Forbes article on February 9th, 2017, outlining all of Trump's donations. What I found interesting is that while his foundation apparently donated about $10.9 million to charities between 2001 and 2014, only $2.8 million was from Trump himself. In true fashion, he sells it like he's the generous one, but in reality, the vast majority of donations from his foundation are funded by donations from others that he passes through and takes credit for. Additionally, the $2.8 million he donated during that time only represented 0.08%. I'll say it again, 0.08% of his professed $3.8 billion wealth. Let's compare that to some other billionaires, shall we? How about Bill and Melinda Gates? Their foundation has an endowment of $48 billion, and $36 billion came directly from Bill and Melinda Gates. Almost seems unfair to compare, though, because Trump isn't in the same stratosphere of billionaires as Gates. So let's compare to Clinton. According to the reports from The Washington Post and Forbes, and corroborated with IRS documents, between 2001 and 2015, the Clintons donated $23 million to charity. About $18 million went to the Clinton Foundation, the large corporate global charity that manages other donations, similar to the Trump Foundation. And $5 million went to the Clinton Family Foundation, which is a pass-through, which only accounts for the Clintons' money and donates directly 
directly to charities. This $23 million represented 9.8% of their wealth. So the Clintons donated 9.8% of their wealth, and Trump donated 0.08% of his wealth. Okay. Trump, in contrast, let's just think about this. Trump, in contrast, donated $3.9 million from his own pocket during that same time of 2001 to 2014. And for clarity, $2.8 million of that went to the Trump Foundation, not directly to other charities. And that $2.8 million only came from 2001 to 2008. Apparently, from 2009 to 2014, he donated a total of zero dollars. Again, for someone who claims to be a billionaire, this is a measly sum, hardly the philanthropist he would claim to be. Yes, he does donate, but let's be clear about how he likes to be more of a salesman of image rather than a true philanthropist. Okay, here are a few ways I see evidence that Trump is a racist. First, in the 1991 book Trumped, Former Trump employee John O'Donnell alleged that Trump had described laziness as, quote, a trait in blacks, end quote, and once told him, quote, I've got black accountants at Trump Castle and at Trump Plaza, black guys counting my money. I hate it. The only kind of people I want counting my money are short guys that wear yarmulkes every day. To further corroborate this, in an interview with Playboy magazine in 1999, Trump said, quote, the stuff O'Donnell wrote about me is probably true, end quote. Number two, Trump launched his campaign in 2015 by calling Mexican immigrants, quote, rapists, end quote, who are, quote, bringing crime and bringing drugs, end quote, to the U.S. Number three, in 2016, Trump stated that Judge Gonzalo Curiel, who is overseeing one of the Trump lawsuits relating to Trump University, should recuse himself from the case because of his Mexican heritage and membership in a Latino Lawyers Association. Even House Speaker Paul Ryan, a Trump endorser, later said those comments are, quote, the textbook definition of a racist comment, end quote. Number four, in June 2020, at a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Trump attacked several Democratic women of color. Speaking about Representative Omar, Trump said she, quote, would like to make the government of our country just like the country from where she came from, Somalia. No government, no safety, no police, no nothing, just anarchy, end quote. Number five. In 2019, Trump tweeted that several black and brown members of Congress, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, Representative Presley, Representative Omar, and Representative Tlaib, are, quote, from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, end quote. And they should, quote, go back to those countries, end quote. This is an age-old racist trope to send immigrants back to their country of origin. By the way, three of the four members of Congress that Trump was talking about were born in the U.S. The next day, our conversation continued, but we flipped it around. It was his turn to discuss things he didn't like about Trump, and I defined things I did like about him. This was challenging. Remember that challenge you laid down at lunch back in the old days before the lockdown? I'm to list five things I dislike about Trump, and you are to list five things you like about him. 
I have mine and have been holding on to it for our next lunch, but that may be some time off. So let's at least exchange the lists now. Number one, tariffs. In order to be effective, they have to be levied on goods that sell well in this country. Goods for which there is high demand, there would not be a significant impact for a tariff placed on goods that are not brought into the country in significant quantities. The ultimate bearers of the tariffs are the consumers, and with an effective tariff, that means the max possible number of people impacted. While I understand the need for and the role of tariffs in protecting the homeland industries, I still don't like their use as a weapon that upsets a free marketplace and creates unrealistic pricing. Number two, way of expressing tweets, braggadocio, name calling. Number three. Bloated ego, I, me, my. Number four, in spite of his promise not to dick around with Medicare or Social Security, my Social Security check gets smaller every year without fail. Even though there is cost of living increase, it is more than offset by rising Medicare fees that are taken out of the Social Security check. This year, my check went down one hundred seventy-five dollars, all due to a whopping increase of the tax. On the private supplemental insurance I buy, I realize this brilliant situation is the result of the Obama meddling with health care, but Trump has yet to eliminate it. Number five, really did not like his insulting Cruz's wife during the election campaign. Number six, comments directed at Attorney General Barr that interfere with Department of Justice's smooth functioning. Number seven, firing John Bolton. Nice list, pops. See, it didn't feel so bad to show how your thinking might be in alignment with the liberals once in a while. Oh boy, you're pushing it. <laughs> might be. Now don't get carried away. <laughs> okay, here's my list of things I think Trump got right. First, he provided stricter regulations on vaping. Two, he safeguarded the 5G networks from Chinese control. Third. He moved the U.S. embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Four, he finally brought justice to Iran's terrorist general Qasem Soleimani. Five, he appointed Powell to the Fed chair, who provided superb leadership during the pandemic-caused economic crisis of 2020. Six, he sped up the approval of generic drugs. And seven, he did change the status quo of how a president acts and speaks. And Listen, I don't like the ways that he did it, but I do like that he's opening the door for change. And I hope that now that that door is open, we will see people who express themselves in a more positive way, even if they're breaking the norms. They're still doing it in a way that invokes positive change. And that concludes this week's episode of Conversations with My Conservative Dead Father. We're done. I usually get the last word. <laughs> Not this time. Please leave a comment. Let me know what you think, and be sure to follow the show. It really does help. Conversations with my conservative dead father is hosted by Jonathan Grossman and me, Michael Grossman. The show is produced and recorded by Night Shift Audio, AI-generated voice and voice cloning by the Play HT engine. Main title music by Dogwood Moon. Please encourage everyone to have conversations with people of varying points of view. Listen, learn, and most importantly, keep an open heart 
and an open mind. Thanks for listening.